This is White Scar's Team Up. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another edition of White Scarves Team-Up. We know that you've all been looking forward to this interview. People who have been following along this from the beginning that are reading these stories for the first time, you'll recognize this man's voice as being Rafe Culver from Let Them Go or Frank Butler from Secret Rooms. He's also had a number of other voices, including the Tiger Shaman Haka, the stalwart and quite irritable Captain Baltus, but most importantly, the character that everybody loves and everybody quotes and no one wants to forget, we were referring to, of course, John Potts. Oh, come on. No, we're talking about the nag, our irascible, fourth-wall-breaking horse. I give <laughs> to you Spencer Leib. Uh, I It's true, I am a horse. <laughs> yes. Now, I just want to know how you uh, managed to type back to us on the uh, Skype chat, then. With you have great for difficulty. <laughs> thank you for coming on, Spencer. Oh, th thank you for inviting me twice, because I messed up the first one. <laughs> no, no, yeah, they don't need to know this. It's... Put it out the window. It's fine. <laughs> out the window. <laughs> okay, great. Now we just made another joke, which I'm going to have to refer back. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm so helpful for the, for the production side of this. I cannot fathom how many times Alex has had to cut out me making other people in the call la laugh when it's not super productive. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think our alternate title for the podcast should just be Impenetrable In-Joke. <laughs> <laughs> we bring you to our most popular segment of the show, Impenetrable In-Joke. <laughs> It happens at least once an episode. We can guarantee you that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Spencer, when we initially started interviewing people, we didn't really have a specific format. We just, Toby and I would toss it back and forth and figure out, okay, what are the questions we want to ask that are specific to the characters that you play? What are the questions we're going to ask that are like... The, the questions that we ask everybody because we're interested on the uh, the whys and wherefores of all of this. So let's begin with one of those standard questions. We'd like to start at the beginning, and mm -hmm. we're curious to find out how you first came into contact with Alex, uh, whether your first voice acting role was New Century or something else, because Alex has done other things, or maybe you did voice acting for some other purpose, and whether you'd had any dramatic experience beyond voice acting in particular. So in reverse order, mm -hmm. um, I have been doing acting or performing of some kind since I was probably three years old. <laughs> oh, um, one of my first memories is, is standing, you know, in the hallway out the doors. My mom was tying uh, tap shoes onto my feet and me sort of having the wherewithal to go, wait a minute, where are we going? And, and her response was just, oh, we're going to the dance lessons. And I was like, ah, yes, the, the adults said dance lessons. Therefore, I understand where we're going. I had no idea what was going on. That's but, a hell of a way to start consciousness, just yeah. going to tap dancing <laughs> lessons. Is yeah, this life? I, I have some memories from before then, but I just remember the, huh, <laughs> like looking around being like, what's going on? Um, but yeah, no, I did uh, singing, dancing, and acting, including improv and a few other things since 
from a very early age. And it wasn't until I was in my teen years that I suddenly realized that, wait a minute, I'm not the one who signed up for this. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and, you know, I, I was in theater uh, in high school before I realized I actually don't like the theater experience all that much. My personal passions lay elsewhere, but I irrevocably had this skill set that I can, just cannot get rid of. So I had to <laughs> try as you might. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no matter what, I, I, am, I am cursed to be at least competent at this. Uh, this made it so that uh, when Alex put out the call for someone to do voice readings back on, God, which, what name Digital was his podcast? Digital uh, I think he was Digital Drift at the time. I, ca I came into his podcast at Digital Gonzo. Mm -hmm. It was it was after Digital Cowboys, but it was, yeah, it was Digital Gonzo, uh, but I believe it was Digital Drift when he started doing the calls for voice actors. And, you know, I was, his his podcast was definitely at the time uh, unquestionably my favorite. And so I... I since then. He's just now in competition with... His, it's his fault because he introduced me to We Hate Movies. It's... Uh, uh, okay, yeah. Um, no, uh, his... His podcast was something that I, I had been one of those things you didn't know how much you wanted until you started listening to it. But like, like if anything, if anything, the hardest part of his podcast for me is that I'm not in the room to also screen my opinions, capital O, at <laughs> the room. And I've been so pleased the once or twice I've actually gotten to be on his show. Uh, it's always but, disconcerting when you are on one of those and when you're hearing it, you just feel like you're listening to a podcast and you go, oh yeah, true. And they'll respond and go, oh shit, they can hear me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to start trying to think other things of like, wait, I have to test this. Do I have a power? Um, <laughs> just start it with, we hate movies. See how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he put out the, the call and I was, I was like, I, I didn't think I was going to get picked, but I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try, because I was just so desperate to hang out with this with this man who who was clearly so intelligent and responsible for so much content that I had listened to. Like, I at that point, I'd listened to God, hours and hours and hours of his stuff. Um, so I was very happy when he picked me for two separate roles in Cartographer's Handbook. I At the time, I was like, oh, I don't even think I can do more than one voice and he has since shown me that i can do not 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 only that i can actually voice act but that i can do it with a lot more variation than i thought i could before mm -hmm. um because mm -hmm. he has been directly responsible for me being much better like like getting much better at this than than i thought like i, I never thought i'd be bad at it but he's i it, it's why when i found out you guys wanted to interview me i was like why alex is the one who does everything like <laughs> i i i am just mouth sounds i don't know what you want from me <laughs> Well, well, we'll get into, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of the other interviews that we've done with Loretta or Matt or Theo or anything like that. We, we get in deep and we find out that there's a lot of unexpected depth to what the voice actor brings to the table. I mean, that's a completely separate topic. Let's stay on the topic that we have currently right now. But you're, I, you're I, I assure you. <laughs> I, I assure you that you're you're bringing more to the table than you think you are, and we'll, we'll see what some of your answers are to some of the other questions. But based off of what you just said, the list that we had was that you actually voiced four different people in Cartographer's Handbook, and I'm curious which of the two that come to mind for you. I do four? Yeah. Greg, are we doing a new century quiz for the actual cast members? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to embarrass him as well, but you know. No, I I would, to... I'd, lo I'd love to. So the two that I distinctly remember are Lawton Sadler and um, Samuel Tudor. 
Yes, those are those mm-hmm. are the big two that first come up. But I, one of the things that I'm we're able to do is that go to like it's not on the New Century website specifically, but on the New Century podcast at the last episode of the ones that he's actually put out there for public viewing, it lists the actor and then every single voice that they mm-hmm. did. And apparently you also voiced Custer and George Washington for cartographer's head. Vaguely remember Custer. I do not remember Washington whatsoever. I I think because in my head, my my memory was that he was gonna like he was gonna replace me as Washington. I was just placeholders. But I guess back in those days, he only had like five voice actors. So yeah, uh, was Daniel Floyd. Uh, uh, but I do not remember Washington whatsoever. But Custer. <laughs> now that you bring up Custer, I vaguely remember that. I think I just thought it was part of something else yeah the, the only two i distinctly remember from cartographer's handbook as like mine were um tudor and sadler and i think that's probably just because i the idea of me voicing any like named historic characters like seemed impossible where i was like no that's that's not gonna last there's no way that's continued whereas the, having those two original characters felt much more like no i could i could keep these like these these could be mine fine yeah, my yeah. Um, you, you were building <laughs> up characters from the ground up rather than trying to do a sort of uh a, like a profile of yeah. someone who already existed yeah God, thinking about it, we haven't gotten to Arlington yet. That's that's forward on our slate. But I was just thinking to myself that I do remember a time when I think it was Lawton Sadler and Frank were in the same area together. And I know that their voices, their voices are distinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is going forward a little bit, but that I'm curious what it's going to be like to hear them back to back when that actually happens. Just out of curiosity, I went back in and gave it a try. Butler is more or less quiet during that entire scene, which means that we don't actually hear their voices side by side. But having listened to them both in that one episode of Arlington, which was recently remastered by Alex, one can tell the differences between their voices. Sadler has a distinct catch in his voice that makes him sound more youthful, but also more folksy, would be a way of putting it. Butler always has a quality in his voice that shows his age, his experience, and the kind of gentlemanly face that he wants to put forward. It's one of the reasons that when Spencer reprises his performance of Butler more recently, that we can tell the marked change in him after the events of Steamheart. But I'm getting ahead of myself. There are a number of other smaller roles that were on the list here. When I initially started putting the list together, I was going for the big ones. And then I was surprised also to find out that you had uh, voiced uh, four different people on that. But there are a lot of voices that do, you know, like smaller, large parts during cartographer's handbook. It's mostly aside from Alex, you know, doing the narration as Arlington. It's mostly, first-hand accounts from multiple people, so I guess there are just a lot of other voices added to the mix that are more than just small bit parts, like Merle from <laughs> Secret Rooms, who just speaks up long enough to argue with uh, mm-hmm. with Abigail's mother or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So mm. It's also quite diff- <laughs> difficult to remember the structure of Cartographer's Handbook, whereas a lot of the 
other books because they're more narratives there is actually something you can go okay that scene that scene that scene mm-hmm. i've listened to cartographers i think it must be about three times now and i struggle to remember when and where each part of the book comes in so mm-hmm. it's certainly understandable to for that one to be a bit hazy going back to some of the things you were saying earlier spencer it, it sounds like for some reason you're parents were like setting you up for the uh what's it called being a triple threat the whole acting singing and dancing thing is were your parents performers themselves oh so it's this two-pronged thing of my mom i will armchair psychiatrist or psychologist her a little bit but i think to a degree she was living vicariously through uh, my brother and I a little bit, and that uh-huh. she she because she, she just kept talking about how she's like, oh, I always wanted to do singing and dancing when I was a kid, and I'm like, well, I never asked for this, so someone this is someone's motivation. Um, <laughs> but uh, the true the actual answer that she gave me when I because when I finally asked her, I was like, why did you put me in that? Because there's no way I asked about it. But it I was I want to be a tap dancer. <laughs> my older brother, uh, when he was a kid, had too much energy. He was kind of a nightmare child he would climb on everything and he was loud and you know not breaking things but just had so much energy and was so much to look after whereas i was apparently the the quiet child who would put himself down for naps and was like would come remind my mom that it's like it's nap time please put me to bed uh, <laughs> you sound creepy uh yeah no because well i mean you know that's that's why they had to teach me to stop talking like that as a child <laughs> mother <laughs> mother i wish to nap Um, but uh (laughs) so what it was is she was taking my brother to all these things of like gymnastics and tap dancing and singing and like all these different things to try and make him use up some of his energy so that he would just not be a nightmare when he got home and just because it's like well i have this second child i guess i will also put him into this stuff because then i know where they both are and i don't have to look after either of them for a few hours a day you know i was a small child and was just yes okay i guess this is a thing i do and then just sort of absorbed it but no i don't think there was any attempt to to craft an actor or anything um it was just through, through attempt attempting to tame my older brother and then i just absorb lessons that are given to me very very quickly uh so i just absorbed all the acting of like oh, okay i will learn how to act and sing and dance and i will do all these things well when new century gets adapted into a stage musical you'll be standing in good stead my friend so i, I actually have to ask because you you've spoken to alex at this point right many many times yeah yeah has he told you that he originally wanted princess thieves to have a musical number we have heard that, or okay, at least okay. I, I have just, heard that. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that bit of trivia had come up, and I, I was, I feel bad because he, he ended up polling us, and basically all the females said yes, do it, and all the males were like, eh. and I feel bad because I was like, I mean, I'm down to sing, I know how to do it. I was just, does it make sense to have a band to ha- suddenly have a song here? And like after listening to it, I'm, I'm like, well, of course there should have been a song, Spencer. Why, why on earth did you argue against this? <laughs> so I feel I, bad that I am partially responsible for denying the audience uh, musical princess thieves. It's okay. I, I think I remember when he actually put it out to public as well that uh, I was also one of the males that went, eh, like, it feels a little odd to have it here. And so, yeah, yours was not the only nay I, against I, it. Yeah, oh, despite oh, you being the nag. 
I, I think I think honestly my only argument was that it was because there was only one song and I was like, hey, why have one random song in the middle of this? Whereas if it had been a full-on musical, I'd been yes, print it. Well, a full-on Where musical. is the Nags I Want song? <laughs> I, I, will you have a pretty horse walk outside and say, I want? <laughs> yes. Uh, Greg, the plan is coming together. We now have <laughs> audio clips of just the nag on tape. I, I can I can do the nag. But even even Alex has commented, it's like, it's a little spooky how naturally I can do the nag. And so I had to come out to him and be like, it's true. I am actually, I've actually been a posh horse all along. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you didn't know it before, you certainly know it at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm showing my ignorance a little bit here, but what is is that a concept? The I want song because you bring that up, and the only thing I can think oh. of right now is Veruca Salt. Don't uh, care, uh, how I want it now. You know that fits with the nag. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, no, the I want song is the um, something that's like I, it feels like a term that would be on trope talks or uh, 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 TV okay. tropes, where it's like the song that would. Often in Disney, but not exclusive to them, where a character at, near the beginning of the film will say, like, uh, say in song what their motivation is, what they're looking for. Like the, in Moana, it's the there's a line in the sky with the sea, it calls me that mm-hmm. one. And mm-hmm. uh, you've got in Aladdin, it, it's when he goes back to his home and he goes. Um, yeah. Riff raff, street raff, I, I don't buy that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I literally learned it from Alex's podcast when they were doing. Uh, they were talking about Beauty and the Beast and how to. Uh, yeah. uh, I think when, that one when, is explicitly like has like I want to be in the grace yeah. white somewhere. Yeah, the, the 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 there must be more than this provincial life type of thing. Yes. But um, because uh, because I I'm literally getting from it's whatever got I can never remember the name of. The behind the scenes for Beauty and the Beast and the Disney people, but what the guy who is helping to make that like I was I was literally quoting him where he says at some point you have the girl go outside and say I want and like you know fr- from that point on they refer to it as the I want song and so uh... thanks thanks Alex again. <laughs> well, we we have established now that Princess Thieves is in fact getting a direct sequel and that the nag apparently has opinions on what the next book should be named. So who knows? Maybe it'll start with the nag I want song. And wow, the timing on this is bad. Just today at time of editing, Alex went into a long speech about how he is putting off the next Princess Thieves book. Which isn't the reason that I sigh. It's that when he explained the reasoning behind putting it off, it doesn't sound like anyone is going to feel much like singing. To those of you that are not on the School of Movies Discord channel, it appears that Alex is entirely disheartened by the inability of the UK's voting base from turning them away from Brexit. And that energy is likely going to become part and parcel of whatever stories come out from that group of heroes in the future. Which means a much darker timeline for all. Who knows? Things could change. Part of me now wonders about that 11th world referenced in The Christmas Thieves, where Baltus became a changed man. And whether in that version of London, a musical version of the heroic journey of Robin, Gwendolyn, Oberon, Mortimer, and Viola could have been possible. Merlane didn't want to get attached. But wouldn't it be a breath of fresh air now?
that's the thing about the nag is I'm I'm not even sure if nag is has suggestions of his own so much as he's very ready to shoot down everyone else's. <laughs> I mean, he 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 does. It's true. He does have opinions about everything, and sometimes he's snarky about other stuff that's going on there. And we we definitely see in the most recent book, Uncivil Outlaw, that he doesn't necessarily like the idea of having to do anything. But I just picture him after the events of Uncivil Outlaw just trotting right up to Merlane and going like, okay, I did what you said, I got shot for my trouble, and now I want a song. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was in the agreement, you owe me a song. <laughs> the sequel to Princess Thieves is now just going to include the nags saying it's like, look, we all know we wanted to do this song and it was a huge mistake. Let's just put it in this one, okay? So uh, uh, read through those alternate timelines of yours until you find the one where we're singing. <laughs> they find one and everyone's off key. It's like, oh no, one along from that. Oh, there we go. Is this going to be a twelfth world? No, no, no. I actually had to go further and far afield than that. This is the twenty-fifth world. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, we did have a list of questions. That's right. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so, as we've established, yours is one of the very first voices that New Century fans will have heard, whether they're going by the chronological release order of uh, Cartographer's Handbook or in this sort of new suggested order that we have also, I guess, suggested through our podcast of Let Them Go with Rafe Culver. But some of the voice work is likely due to direction from Alex, and you've very helpfully uh, confirmed that for us. And some may be helped along by his audio software wizardry, but what is your process for fitting yourself into the role vocally, and how has that changed over the last seven years? <sighs> I don't think it's changed much other than I've, I've just, I think I've just gotten faster at it um, and learned to stop questioning myself quite so much because every single time I've gone, I don't know if I can do this. I've been proven wrong, at least according to Alex, but I, I leave that whether or not he was right up to you guys. He was right. Oh, okay. Right. Cool, thank you. The, the, the process is pretty straightforward. It's just, you know, I, he sends, he always starts with here's, a synopsis of the entire story so you have so you have context mm -hmm. and then uh he'll send us our bits i read through the whole thing so that i get a you know a sense for the flow of the conversation what each person's saying you know like like their moods and what i should be doing and then if it's a new character it's just me trying like out loud just trying to make them sound different like very like distinct from the others and stuff like that and you know especially if it's a brand new character it's read it you know it's read it out loud to myself in character without recording so that uh so i can see what happens and um i know i know with haka i literally found his voice just naturally by reading his lines i fell into his sort of raspy mm. cadence uh, and i was like oh if, if this is like if this is what i'm doing naturally i'm just gonna keep this so then i just had to remember mm. to do that for all of his lines uh, feeling the voice and the words yeah it's I, it's a, it's a thing i've just honestly i've just picked up from like playing D, D with my my friends where you you kind of meet the character in the middle and then you're like oh okay this feels right you're like oh, you know what or you know you'll you'll make a choice you'll be like you know what that that actually sounds up that actually sounds correct let's go with that one and then just having to do that vocally and you know figuring it out fairly quickly but uh other than that it's just once i've found a voice that alex agrees with that alex is like yeah that that totally works it's just remembering to keep that 
uh, remembering not to fall into my own vocal habits of talking very quickly, just so fast. I always forget how fast I talk until someone else comments, like, you talk very quickly. I'm modulating it a bit right now, but I, as soon as, as soon as I get into the conversation, I will forget that I'm talking quickly and start talking quickly again. And that's often what would happen with his, his scripts is I'm, I'm, I'm just getting into the character. I'm like, all right, now I'm just reading lines. And I would forget that I'm speeding up because I'm falling more into my natural rhythms, even when it doesn't make sense. Cause someone like Haka does not talk that fast. He's, he's much, he's much more on the storyteller side. Wants everyone hanging on his every word. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually noticing I'm suddenly having the same experience with both you and Matt. That, yeah. like, when I first heard Matt talk for the first time on Skype, I was like, well, yeah, okay, I can see a little bit of that mannerism in how he voices Jeremy Pines. But, you know, in comparison to, say, Oberon, who is deeper and far more measured, it'd be like, oh, wow, that this is something... It doesn't sound like him at all. He just basically disappeared into that role, and I wouldn't necessarily even have known it was his voice unless it was written down on a cast list somewhere. Yeah, um, Matt. Matt is shockingly good at transforming himself into someone else entirely. Mm -hmm. But now I can definitely see through interaction with you that the experience of leisurely talking in like particularly in the way that in in frank butler's drawl must have been work for you then he's the one i have to consciously slow myself down for like the most off him um it was him and early on tudor was also because tudor is very very slow as well compared mm -hmm. to what my normal cadences so uh it was yeah t uh, it's it's tudor butler and uh baltus are the three that i'm like i need to like like i almost have to record each line separately like like record pause get back into character record the next line because mm. if i don't i will slip and start going faster and faster and faster and it's not and it doesn't work for them and that was that was just one of the earliest notes alex ever had to give me was slow down to go to go back to the original thing um getting into character i will say i think one of the things i always i consistently have to do is when i'm figuring out the characters uh there's always one line that will like stand out to me it's like i i got that one that's that's the line i i wanted to do that that where i like i heard their voice come through and like for for haka it's very it's almost always a very early line fortunately but for haka it was like the air cheetah and the leopard of water and i like later on when we're far removed from those scenes i just have to repeat those lines back to myself to be like ah i'm back i got it i got it i got it and like yeah that that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, that's i would i would say that's the deepest extent of me with like without Alex just giving me direct instructions of like eh, a little softer or a little more you know a little more intense or something and he's never asked me to be more intense that's that's always happens that's the closest I can call my process is having to frequently repeat certain lines to myself in their voice and be like what do, what do they what do they do I sound do I sound right am I still am I still following that thread yeah okay we're good we're good and then mm. continue on from there have you ever had um, what I would refer to, thanks to Theo, as a gibbet moment. One word that you had a hard time pronouncing in whatever role you were trying to fit yourself into. So, I have two, technically. Okay. One is, as Lawton Sadler, I misread the name of the 
First Nations guide that's the center of Lawton Sadler's story in Cartographer's Handbook. As Cook, yeah. The first time I read it, I completely missed that first K and read it as A-S-O-K, which I've always learned is the Hindi pronunciation is Ashuk. And for some reason, it didn't register to me that that was wrong. I, so I recorded the entire bit of Lawton Sadler's dialogue with the wrong name and he had to be like and Alex was so polite he was like uh I know you I know you're American so maybe maybe I'm I, I'm doing this I can't I'm not, I can't do his voice I'm not gonna pretend to um so he's like maybe maybe I did it wrong but I thought it was as kook and I reread it. I was just I'm I'm stupid why did I what the, <laughs> why in the the hell did I think it was this and I just completely missed a letter so there's that otherwise I would actually say it's um funny enough it's the nag in general because, you know, I can put on the British affectation. I can pretend to be posh as much as I want. But they really do pronounce certain common words completely differently. Which, I don't, I don't think Alex will admit it, but I've always, I've always said Alex's default accent is the Nag's posh accent. I've always found him, I've always thought he had a very re- refined accent. So Alex frequently had to correct me of like, it's not stew, it's stew with a Y. Um, and... <laughs> frequently things like that where i would record a nag and then you'd have to come back in and like this word is more like this this word has an aw rather than an a and stuff like that and i have to, i would some frequently just have to fight myself on some things of like this sounds weird to my heathen american tongue and it ultimately just led to in the recordings i will in character i'll read through the line pause and then be like Actually, it might be pronounced this way. I'm going to do it both ways, and there's nothing you can... And, and I'll let you use whichever one you prefer. Like, that kind of thing. You say herbs, and we say herbs. Because there's a fucking H. Fucking H in it, yes. <laughs> I used to have that opinion, and then over time, I can only say herbs. It's only <laughs> herbs. <laughs> herbs and pices. Rough. Um, uh... <laughs> to put a G and an H in, in case some herbs come along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eddie Izzard, what would we do without you? Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I, just slightly off topic, I ended up finding myself very frustrated when she has been going on her own journey recently mm-hmm. in terms of trying to redefine herself in the more modern era and i'm glad that she finally just decided i'm going to live my own truth and this is the way i prefer to be addressed and i'm i've been a fan of her forever so i'm fine with treating her with the respect that she's asking for but everybody not everybody but just seems like so many other people are getting down on her for wanting to live her truth and it, it's it's frustrating the, the we accepted you as one thing. Stop changing it. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, bullshit. Turns out other people suck. Fortunately, we're we're not other people. We're our people, so it's all mm. good. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I've been relieved with in terms of, like, that's one of the pieces of magic that seems to surround the Shaws is that they're very good at drawing in not just other participants, but an audience that is very much on their level. They're very frank about who they are. They don't put on much of an affect when they are presenting their content to the world and the right kind of people get 
caught up in their wake because of that. So, you know, in terms of like being on the discord or listening to people talk on school of movies or whatever, it's just very gratifying. And it's Mm. part of why, you know, just like you, why they have meant as much to me as they have and why it's inspired us to, you know, go on and make creative works in their name. And I don't have much else to say about that. It's not funny. Mm-hmm. It's just true. So mm-hmm. let's let's continue with our question list. Spencer, with the exception of Alex and Sharon, for God's sake, Abigail is just in Nickelback land. She'll be back. You are the only person that has played a character that has made it all the way from the beginning of New Century to the most recent novel. I mean, technically, Annie isn't actually gone. She may no longer be alive, but I suspect that we haven't heard the last from Loretta voicing her, even if only in Abigail's head. My point is that Butler's character will continue to evolve into Phase 2 and beyond. With clear indications that Frank is going to play a role in the upcoming novel Wendigos alongside James and Rebecca. Which, as of last week, the title of this book is now going to be Nightfall of the Wintergoes, due to the fact that the character named Nightfall is apparently going to be playing a significant role in it. Most of us were, well, we not sure, but we thought that we weren't going to see Frank for a long time after the events of Steamheart, thanks to some of the tragic events. Mm-hmm. And... I'm curious to hear from you how you feel about inhabiting Frank's voice after all this time, especially after he has had to suffer the loss of his wife and yet somehow get pulled back into action. I do think it's an interesting uh, direction for him. I, 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 I very much appreciate that Alex is not keeping any of his characters like this is the same character in book one as it is, you know, book seven. I've lost count of how many there are at this point. Nine. But nine. <laughs> nine with t- with 10 and 11 coming swiftly along the way. He's been making... Yeah, I, I have trouble progress. remembering which ones are out and which ones aren't, because ah, yeah. like, we've been recording one recently, and I, I couldn't even remember which one it is. But uh, I've lost my own train of thought. Oh, um, like, I, I've... Obviously, Alex, you know, he's he's spent... God, when did when did he start doing this? So what, 10, 12, 17? I forget how many years he's been at this, but harping many. on harping on movies and games and things too, and books, to, uh, it, you know, for about character development and you know their arc. So obviously, thank God he's you know he's he's listened to his own words and his characters have some very, as you said, some devastating arcs for some of them. I'm a little glad that he didn't. Because Butler's reaction in that one specifically it is all text. Like, it's all narrative voice. Like, I didn't have to voice Butler finding out about Annie type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, it's not that I don't think I could do it. It's that I... That, that kind of performance always makes me nervous uh, when it's... Like, uh, when you have to get that emotional or that, like, that level of, that mixture between intensity and nuance. Because I know, I know I can do one or the other, but both at the same time? What, what world mm-hmm. do we live in? I am very curious to see what he wants out of Butler going forward. Because I think, 
at time of recording, I think I've recorded two, maybe three lines of post post Annie Butler, and it is a different. It it's it is very weird to try to do this like the type of thing I've never had to do in voice acting before because this is my only voice acting experience is having to have the same voice but still have it be so noticeably different you know the same accent the same affectation but like have him sound like like basically have the audience be able to hear the weight of the previous books in his in his voice, in the in the change of his mannerisms, the the much more having to like like with I think with Butler more than anyone else, uh, especially as uh, as his character has changed, I've had to almost like pantomime what he's going through in the scene more and more and more to really get the the essence of what he's having to do, like whether he's sitting down in a cell or. Uh, you know, very tensely holding his rifle, staring out over the over the horizon, watching for what he thinks is going to come at them in the night, while very trying to stay calm, talking to the children functionally. Hmm. Yeah, because he is a character of action, and mm-hmm. he so so much of him is in his actions. So that must be a very important part of inhabiting the role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I, I can never, like I said, I can't remember which parts have and haven't come out, so I don't want to say anything I'm not allowed to. Um, we, the most we have seen is uh, when Frank and Rebecca have are picking up James at the tower and the Citadel. Okay, and... yeah, I, I think that's literally the scene I'm talking. I, I was thinking, yeah. but the because he's he's is he he's leaning on a cane in that one, right? Yes, yes, yeah, he is. like that's that's one of the ones I'm talking about where in order to switch because for him. Because at that point, it's that weird mix of Butler. The Butler we we knew and loved is not gone. Mm. He's just missing a significant piece of him, and so he's much. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I remember Alex wanted me to play him much shorter, much gruffer. Like his patience is gone to a, to mm. a large degree, and I remember having to do that. But I remember like getting up from the from the desk and like grabbing. I don't have a cane around, but grabbing something I could lean on so that I could like fidget with it like grumpily the way he would and have and have that affect my delivery mm. have that affect the way my my voice sounds from just like the shuffling of my you know the the way your rib cage just moves when your arm is all your weight is leaning onto something else just little things mm. like that i have i had no idea how much of it came through but i was like this makes well, me feel better to do it it did and i think what I can, you know, how you mentioned earlier that there are certain sentences that you go back to in order to hear a character's voice or to remind yourself what they sound like. My heart kind of broke when in Uncivil Outlaw, uh, we hear him so much go, pardon my French, in a sort mm-hmm. of like amiable way that is always just sort of like, oh, thank you, old charmer. And then you just hear him go, pardon my goddamn French. Like he kind of resents that that is a sentence, that a phrase that he can't help but bring up whenever like it occurs to him. And just to hear him go through that change and something that was so part and parcel of who he was, it, it did break my heart. And it did, I think, as much as it is sort of like somewhat humorous, there's some I can't necessarily explain the comedy of the moment, but there is also just that feeling of 
it's the it's a tangible difference it's something yeah. that you look at and you go oh oh but uh. yeah no it, it's it's the, i mean it's that thing where the part of the world he truly cared about is gone so he so he doesn't even need to maintain the other parts of it as well it, it reminds it actually reminds me of, it's 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 always funny I, I don't know how much of a throwaway line this is to everyone else but i always remember dan floyd in cartographer's handbook the very first story of the guy documenting his transformation into a wendigo butler's current arc like it reminds me of one specific line from that of the where uh the the officer because it's it's dan floyd's character with another officer and the officer tells him to behave and he says i can't see the point my head throbs with pressure i feel nausea sweep over me i must lie down Candlelight now. Stokes has had to ask me to behave. I do not see the need. Uh, mm. It's something. It's something along those lines. I'm not it, delivering it correctly, but you know, he, he basically says, "Hey, behave," and he's he's like, "I literally don't understand the concept in my current mind state or my uh, current mindset." Man, it's like and it, Butler. And, Becoming a Wendigo in all but form. Yeah, that 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 exact essence of like the tri- the because what is being a Wendigo if not stripping away the humanity and if and when you know if Butler loses the thing that ties him to yeah. the, the like like he basically you know not quite that he's Superman but if he loses his lowest lane then what does he have left like why why mm. stay attached to the world that took that from him type of thing. Mm. Well, I was I was just going to say I, I didn't want to interrupt either of you as you were creating so much good I don't know why I'm choosing to use that word content, just just talking honestly about this whole thing. But I had a couple of thoughts, which is that Spencer kept keying into that one line that always just sort of resonated with me after I ended up learning how Steamheart played out, which is when Frank is talking to Thomas and saying how when Annie isn't around that a piece of him has gone to sleep. And so you were you you were keying into that again and again, how Annie mm-hmm. has just is gone and she can't ever come back. And I, I would add, yes, my agreement to what Toby was saying earlier that Frank always was just very he had the feeling of just being laid back and being able to figure out things on his own time and generally being friendly and understanding. And now he comes in and ends up having a much harder edge. Maybe for be just because that's how he is now and maybe also just to sort of push James out of his current fugue state. It's all, yeah, it's, it's, it's suddenly like a bit of a transformation almost from the friendly, more genial Luke Skywalker at the, at, during the course of his three movies to the, the gruff, jaded 
old Luke Skywalker of the of the new trilogy and everything like that in terms of that kind of mm. overall change. Or or put another way, I, I something I, I think that Alex said he was drawing on when he thought about the events of Steam Harden what effect they would have on Frank going forward. It's a little bit John Wick in that, you know, he, Frank deservedly should be given a chance to rest after all this and he can't. So he's coming in and talking to James a little bit like, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. (laughs) It's the, you took that from me line that yeah. I always, that always takes me yeah mm-hmm. uh, that always brings it and the I had a point I think uh, it has flown away but uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, no, don't I, worry I, don't worry the best points were already made <laughs> but fair enough it was here that I had to pause slightly because there was a wonderful line from Toby that I wanted to re-record for the edit which was ruined by some signal breakup on the Skype call. I was originally going to lift out the conversation that resulted afterward and put it into outtakes, but there was no place that I could edit to that sounded natural based on where we left off. So instead, I hang a big lampshade on the jump and share with you the conversation immediately following. Yeah, okay, great. That's exactly what we needed. Thank you very much. Have you considered voice acting? I've uh, I've done a single word of voice acting before, but um, <laughs> and it was my masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I did I, an obscene number of takes just to say whiskey. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if you noticed, Spencer. If you, have you listened to all of uh, Uncivil Outlaw at this point? I don't think so. No, I I, I it's it, I have the weird thing of. Um, I find audiobooks slow, and I, I tend to... Because he sends us almost because always, you, if, not, if, not the, if not the finished version, very near the finished version, along like in text, along with um, uh, when you're... You know, when we're reading through, we get huge chunks of the story, just at, uh, in addition to our lines. Um, so I mostly know what happens, if, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, but no, I've not listened to it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, one morning when I was at work and in the middle of editing the most recent episode of Through the Windor, all of a sudden I'm getting a text from uh, Alex saying, uh, yeah, so can you, um, would you mind recording just, you know, this line of dialogue here? And it ended up that I was uh, voicing the character of Dan Doherty in mm. Deadwood when I'm telling Abigail not to go up and disturb uh, Al Swearingen. Uh, and then he got Toby to, to do the, the one line, the whiskey, uh, the, the, the incredulous voice of the uh, doctor that they take the nag to, actually. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you're welcome for me taking the bullet out your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's appreciated, but it's not. <laughs> um, but uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. No, one word lines are hard because you have to have. It's so hard not to have it come across robotic and flat in just one word. Like putting emotion mm. into a single word is like, especially when it's got nothing around it. Like, like where you're just saying 
whiskey and they're like that's your only line there was no lead up to it nothing nothing behind it like like you don't get to surround it with the context of the rest of what you're saying it's just out of out of a vacuum you have to be like oh yes here's the mood mood character and expression with none of the physical cues as to what their mood is or what their tone is like there's there's no facial expressions there's no body language there's no there's mm. just the voice i i think i've had to do one word lines the most or at the very least i always give those the most takes of my own volition just because i'm i'm aware of how many different ways you can do it mm. whereas it, it's weird because because a, a sentence gives itself its own context whereas you can say whiskey a thousand different ways but you can only but you can only say which way did they go a certain with a certain cadence a certain number of ways mm. and it's actually easier to do those mm-hmm. yeah that really does interest me because it was something where I was thinking like, oh, why is this like giving me so much trouble? I, so that does he threw you into the context. deep end <laughs> of whiskey. Uh, lucky <laughs> me. <laughs> we should all be so lucky. <laughs> Loretta and Theo and Matt, they've talked a lot about the parts of themselves that they've invested in the characterization of the, the characters they love the most, or maybe just the characters that they've been voicing for the longest time. Given the differences between Frank and yourself, I'm curious if you feel like you've invested anything of yourself in his characterization as, as time has gone on. Oh, into Frank? The, yeah. Um, ab- absolutely. Like, I was literally just thinking about how, like, how many times can I say like in this podcast? It's okay. uh, not as many uh, as I can. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm from California. We'll see about that. Um, <laughs> I literally live in the valley from the phrase "valley girl." Um, <laughs> oh my uh, God, <laughs> that was awful. Cut that, Greg. <laughs> like retroactively cut it. <laughs> cut what? <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry about that, Toby. I considered putting that in the outtakes, but it was just funnier to leave it in. What was I talking about? Oh, right, Frank. So uh, it's funny, we were talking about the ending of Steamheart, and I just, I remember feeling personally and as Frank that sensation when he, you know, finding out that Andy's no longer there, that sensation of like, it should have been me. Like, I don't think Alex made the wrong choice or anything. Like, I don't think like narratively he was Mm -hmm. incorrect, but in universe and in character, I very much feel that, Frank thinks the like not just he would be happier if if he had died instead of Annie, but the idea that the world would be better off with her instead of him. Mm. He he, it was the wrong choice, and I think that's why it hits him so hard, and why he ends up with such an edge because it's the it's both his pragmatism of like, well, I'm here, she's not, someone's got to do this, and moping about it doesn't help, but also balanced with that sense of is the world worth saving at this point? What is the point of preserving a world without an Annie in it? Mm. Mm. It hits all of us that Mm. hard to see that happen. And you were talking a little bit ago about worrying about whether you could bring the level of emotion in your voice required for a difficult moment. I'm just thinking about how Loretta talked about how difficult it was for her to voice Annie's last moments with. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, 
I cannot remember which of us recorded first, but I didn't get to hear her performance for any part of Steamheart. Like, we actually don't get to hear each other almost ever these days. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're not recording in the same room, it doesn't make sense for us to like play off of each other's performances unless Alex literally deems it like, listen to the way she says this for 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 how you respond you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing though yeah like it's like I said, that kind of thing is very rare but that is a that is a moment that is both soul crushing to listen to but also if he had made me react like in character as butler to finding out and he's it like it like like i said i didn't have to voice act any of that if he had i'd have had to have demanded it's like i need to hear loretta's version of this so that this hurts enough basically because mm-hmm. i don't think i could do that in a vacuum I don't think I could get all that out of nowhere. This is actually just partially based off pure pragmatism because I learned from Tiger's Eye that it's very hard for me to do unaware of your surroundings levels of intense emotion out of nowhere. The Alex Alex had to get me to do the the when Haka is screaming at Krau, the the very specifically when when he just screams the how could you replace Carol with him? that line was probably the most I've had to retake a line. And like, that was, that was one of the times I distinctly remember Alex had to be like, I need to be coaching you in person, you know, over Skype, obviously, because he's eight hours away, but um, had to coach me through that verbally because it was borderline impossible for me to just do reading, reading the line off of, off of the screen. It's a fair point because when you listen to the scene, it flows so naturally it fits because of the intensity of the narration the music the audio editing so when you hear hucker something like exploding how could you replace carol with him it feels like part of the scene and it's so successful at that that it never occurs to us the listeners that you had to just kind of get there without the all of the audio component to get to help you get to that point so yeah and having to do it without my my own voice breaking because my own screen is higher pitched than haka's because you know he's 11 foot tiger monster having to do that thing kind of out of nowhere and so it would have been i would have been more nervous about having to do frank reacting to losing the center of his world without hearing loretta's Mm. just loretta just destroy that part and everyone who's listening to it What occurs to me is that uh, I think the one part that I can say with certainty that we did hear Frank say something in the fallout of all of this was when he's talking with Raven at the end of Steamheart and uh, Raven, maybe I'm misremembering this, but Raven offers not advice, but a something he can try, which is that if Frank can go a certain amount of time that that will make it easy. That's something to hold on to, just that when you feel that you can't go on without that part of you there, yeah, just try to aim for that and go from there. And it, it, I'm fairly sure that I did hear Frank's reaction there, but uh, it, either way, it does... It might have been one of those one-word acting moments, actually. I... I, rem- I remember the moment. I don't remember what I said, like like what, what he had me record for that. I sat beside him in this place where none could speak. He did not indicate for me to leave, and the technicians and engineers left us be. My mind drifted to the last measures in the bottle of whiskey inside my bag. A poor commiseration. 
I thought instead of something else. Taking a small notebook from my pocket, I scribbled down four words and passed them to him. When was her birthday? He took the pen from my hand and noted underneath. August 13th. Only three weeks away. I penned my response. If you can keep going until then, raise a glass to her on that day and again each year. Put this anniversary above the one when she left. He gazed at the letters numbly and gave the slightest of nods. I wrote underneath. Nadies is January 5th. Yeah, because I, I remember thinking at the time of like, oh yeah, that is just kind of how pain works. Of the you think you can't go on, and basically you just have to prove to your, you you basically have to prove to your own self that it's like you you can and you will. And by making it that far, you've it's like well, I made it a day. That means I can make it another day, and then I've made mm-hmm. it a week, and that means I can make it a month, and that means I can make it a year. Mm-hmm. And then it's not a it, it, you you ultimately having to confront like with all loss all almost all grief all pain the this isn't a question of whether you can it's whether you really think it's worth doing mm. it because you will keep going almost whether you like it or not yeah if it sounds like all of us are a bit vague on the details here shockingly it's pretty difficult for us to revisit that particular part of the story <laughs> i think as i remember it and i'll be frank no, I, yeah, I won't. No, you won't. Frank. <laughs> I have not listened to Steam Heart all the way through since it originally came out. I want to say at the end of 2019. I think, the, he, yeah, he was. Oh, yes, a decade it. ago. <laughs> exactly. It was 84 years ago. Um, I, I, I was actually going to say, I apologize if, I've, for, if I forget certain details or things because like tiger's eye was was that five or six years ago i literally can't remember and like cartographer's handbook was six or seven i forget Mm. how so so, some of this is like like one of a few the few of the early ones i know i record i was in a different house when i recorded in like completely different setup we didn't have this wonderful yeti mic that um alex gifted most of the cast for better recording like we were using headset mics for some of the early stuff so I apologize in advance if I forget any details or mix them up because I also seem to recall we didn't record them in order, mm. if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's so. one of the things that we've learned is that just like shooting scenes during a um, during a movie or something like that, that you don't you you do the scenes in whatever order works best for your shooting schedule. So it doesn't surprise me. But yeah. don't worry about it, Spencer, because Toby and I are like super fans and there's so many things that we've forgotten along the way especially when we're you know recording a session and we have okay these are the things on our list these are the things that are freshest in our mind and then we suddenly forget something a detail that we might have remembered two sessions ago but it completely forgot about because we're focusing on this now for god's sake at the start of this podcast i confused the cartographer's handbook with secret rooms (laughs) yeah we're, we're not above making mistakes. I have it in my memory because I've had to consult recently. Cartographer's Handbook was published in 2013, and the original Secret Rooms, not the definitive edition, was published in 2015. So I'm pretty sure that's going to make Tiger's Eye 
probably 2016, probably 2017, something like that. Okay. Uh, I, um, I believe you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. I managed to speak that with some degree of authenticity. And yet, as it turns out, I wasn't exactly right. I don't have the details of the release of the audio drama in comparison to the release of the written novel. And I know often those don't overlap. But according to the document that Alex shared with me over a year ago, Secret Rooms was originally released in September of 2015, and Tiger's Eye was released in November of 2015, Alex having begun work on it the month after he finished writing Secret Rooms. When I actually look at how quickly new novels were worked on and released, especially considering the work it took to make them into audio dramas, and all of Alex's other work, producing School of Movies and its previous iterations, it's kind of amazing to me, Alex's capacity for output, even with his various physical and mental health problems over the last seven years. When Raven comes to Frank, she's asking Frank when her birthday is, and he responds, and he's like, if you can make it that long, then then raise a drink to her, and every day, every birthday since then. Don't don't toast her on the day she died. Remember her on her birthday. And, you know, the equivalent of that might give you the strength to, to keep on going. Mm-hmm. And that also means that it's only been six months since the events of Steamheart, which means that Frank hasn't even had a full year to recover since she died before mm-hmm. they pull him back in and say, look, we've got some stuff going on. We need you to go and get James's head out of his ass. I was just going to say, Frank, we need you. James needs a shower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not picking up his dirty clothes. Well, I'm not picking up his dirty clothes. <laughs> like that scene where like, they go to the park. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm retired. And then they're like, he needs a shower. And then he's just like, nods solemnly, pays his tab. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is important. <laughs> That's it. That's canon. <laughs> <laughs> A number of characters that you voiced are soldiers. I mean, that's a little bit part and parcel with the cartographer's handbook. Cause yep, soldiers and showmen. Yeah, exactly. Soldiers and showmen. And in, 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 in a few cases, uh, the Venn diagram of those two, yeah. But yeah, no, Toby pointed out Rafe, Butler, Samuel Tudor, Captain Baltus. And the question that Toby was curious about was... Were you drawn to those characters in any way? It, did Alex just have your voice in mind for that kind of archetype? Is, is, there a, is there a theme going on there? Or is it just happened to be that when you auditioned for them or didn't audition for them, that, that just uh, th- there, there was a pattern happened. going on there? Yeah. Uh, well, the short answer is there isn't really... For Sadler and Tudor, I don't remember auditioning for them. I just remember being like, hey, I'm super down to do whatever you need. And he just threw me the roles. And that's been my experience with all of them is he just goes, I want you to be this person. I'm like, all right, I'll, if anything, he, he nine times out of 10, it was like, he was like, I want you to be this person. I was like, I don't know if I can be this person. And then I somehow found a way to do it. Like I, for a long while, I wasn't convinced I could be Baltus. I didn't know if I could do his voice and like hold it for the whole thing because i mean ultimately his voice is very similar to two doors but that thing of like because 
you know, Balt's supposed to have the super deep voice, but he's nothing like Tudor. Like, Tudor has that fun, like, you know, arterial spray, like, let me give you some knowledge. Uh, <laughs> whereas Baltus is basically Hans Landa. Most times before in this podcast, I didn't know who someone was because I never watched or read any Harry Potter. But just in case you're like me and haven't seen most of Quentin Tarantino's work, Hans Landa is the primary antagonist of Inglorious Bastards, portrayed by Christoph Waltz and known in the movie as the Jew Hunter. I like playing that kind of character, but ha- the, the mix of having to maintain the voice, the accent, and the performance, was I, I was not convinced I could do it. And fortunately, Alex, you know, basically was like, shut up and do it. Um, <laughs> uh, Are you sure this plan with your son will work? Of course I am! What could possibly go wrong? Shinji! Dad? Pilot this robot! No! Fuck! Well, there goes that plan. Wait a minute. I have the perfect idea. Get in the damn robot, Shinji! Genius. I'm, I wouldn't say, you know, so I can't say I'm drawn to them because I didn't, I didn't pick them. He picked them for me. But I would also not say that I had trouble getting into their mindset. Like I said, with Baltus, I absolutely, I was like, oh, he's Hans Lana. I can absolutely do this. It was more the mm. question of, can I make him sound like Baltus as opposed to sounding like Tudor or sounding like any of the other characters I've done? Mm. Like already having to do three separate Southern accents for, because, for Tudor, Tudor, Sadler, and um, Tudor, <laughs> uh, Tudor, Sadler, and... <laughs> butler was already like oh god can i do this i get them i understand i understand these characters but can i one of the most devastating reviews i ever heard was from my friend who also listens to alex's podcast and he was like oh you're in this this cartographer's handbook thing or you know i'll, I'll give it a listen you know and he you know he liked it but he was like you know i hear you and it's like it's like it just sounds like spencer and i'm like oh damn it that's what i didn't want oh, oh those but, words were cut yeah well and I comforted myself of because he's I've known him since we were six years old like mm-hmm. like he's one of my oldest friends and like what every time we play D&D and every time I try to do different voices as a DM for Dungeons and Dragons you know he's heard all of it before so I understand to him it might actually be you know they they all sound like Spencer because he's used to it and maybe doesn't play that way to audiences who haven't met me ramble for seven minutes on a yes or no question but I do think Alex apparently has a very good idea of how to pick his cast because I have never questioned whenever he handed me a character like whether whether or not I, I was I, I've never read w- one of the characters he handed me and been like oh I don't I don't want to do this or like I don't I don't know where this person's coming from it's always been a, oh yeah I, I can mm. occupy this person I just don't know if I can occupy them satisfactorily auditorily to an audience who's heard me in seven other roles already that kind of thing yeah one of the questions I was going to ask was uh, if there was a conscious effort on your part to create certain similarities between these soldier characters, but from the sounds of it, it was actually the inverse. You wanted to find ways to distinguish them from one another. But... Yeah, I I figured certain similarities, because, I mean, like I said, a lot of them are storytellers and a lot of them are soldiers. Like, those are the ones mm. he tends to hand to me. Um, I would argue Nag is, is the very worn-out version of both of them. I don't, I, how to put it, I, I do try to have some similarities depending on, you know, their role where like I want all of the, I, I don't want the soldiers to have like a rambling, like they're all much more focused, clipped, and like they're by, by nature of being in the military, they've had to get used to like 
when when a commanding officer asks you for information, you give it to, you you give it to them. You lead up the other stuff, and you you know you try to make it clear and concise in case you need to be shouting over a battlefield type. Of, and I try to be like, all right, well, if that was that's who they are, try to have that in everything they say. But you're, you're not wrong. There is a a conscious effort there, but it was more. You're, you're right in that I was more worried about differentiating them and not having them all just sound like Spencer mm. in some yeah. way because that's yeah. my biggest concern. With that in mind, I think the two most prominent characters in my mind of this sort of archetype of these collection of characters you played, with Captain Baltus kind of being the antagonistic variation of it, but the two heroic soldiers at the forefront are Butler and Rafe. And I was uh, curious to hear what you would say is the fundamental difference between Rafe and Frank's personalities and their characters as people who are depended upon by those around them as figures of strength? Hmm. That's a good question. So Butler, especially, I mean, obviously, obviously there's slight differences post Annie, but Butler always struck me as much more. It's not the, it's not a difference in optimism. It's a difference in Butler. I, I'm not sh- quite sure of the words to describe this, but Butler always had this very, like, to me, this this very, like, it's all going to work out in the end as long as we all do our part and keep our heads. And, you know, you know, we we, we trained for this. This is, this is, we're, we're not going into anything, you know, we, we might be going into situations we're not prepared for, but we're not going into anything that we haven't practiced for type of thing. Like, we're not... Mm you know like like he's very under the impression that every like it's why i actually think part of the tragedy is like you know he doesn't lose annie to a manticore or you know the widow beneath the waves or like some semi-supernatural monster on the other side of the wind door he loses her to a bunch of racists like but a little bit to chance as well because it just did the bullet stray bullet it, yeah. yeah, it didn't even yeah. necessarily like hit her in the heart or anything like that. It just hit a bad place that was going to bleed, and they couldn't. James couldn't treat yeah. it in time to. Yeah, no, exactly. He he loses her, Annie Oakley, to a gunfight of all things. Like that's, <laughs> like, like that's, and that's that. I think that's part of why he ends up so bitter and upset. Like if he had. Because it, it it feels much more like it was within his power to stop. I, th- I think that's part of why that hits him so hard. Is because he had before that he had gone into everything with the mentality of like, we've got this, and you know we're surrounded by tragedy. A bunch of terrible things are happening all over the world. Even before a bunch of Wendigos started showing up, but we practice for this. We got this. You know we've we've assembled some competent people. We'll get through this. And then for Annie to not get through it is one of those realities he had thought about but never thought he'd really have to confront type of things of Mm -hmm. the you know he's lost people but losing annie is a completely different magnitude and wraith not that he has the sense of like we're not going to get through this but he's i think he's much more in a way of much more realistic about you know monsters show up and he's much more i don't know if we're going to get through this i'm going to you know stiff upper lip we're going to have to I, it's important that I put on the face and we do what we can to get through this. I'm not saying we won't, but he's, I think he's much more the, the realization that everything could like every, everything that matters to him could be taken from him is much more pre- present in his mind through the forefront of his, his story. I, I'm not quite sure how to vocalize that slight difference in outlooks to me of the Butler feels a little bit more like I've played him a little bit more like he's 
on an adventure, almost like he knows he's a character in a book. Not like he thinks he's the main character and nothing can happen to him, but like he knows. At he's the, a performer. Yeah, because that's the thing is he's he is a performer, and when we get to the end of it, like he, I think in his head he was frequently saying it's like you know when we get through all uh all the, I know I'm not doing his voice, but when when we get through all this, it's you know this is gonna make such a great story or even a series of stories. Oh man, I can work this into the show, like the, har- <laughs> the harrowing tales of what we had to go through to get to this point, and then like he you know he sees Steamheart and he's just like, wow, man, imagine imagine trying to rebuild this for the stage like trying to explain to people mm. what this meant or there we were surrounded mm. by a dozen wendigo up on a hill like that kind of thing like he's looking forward to telling the story up until you know that kind of thing the leading lady is yeah. taken out of the story too soon and i think like... i think there's a part of him even after that who that knows like there's a, a voice in his head that is saying that makes for good storytelling, and he hates that part of himself that's that mm. does. Oh. Whereas Rafe is not looking about like the you know the you know he's not doing the well head on down to the Winchester, grab a pint, and wait for this all to blow over. He's much more, <laughs> oh, God, he's he's much more like you know I'm dealing with my own internal drama, you know my own pri- you know my own Jane Austenian romantic problems. And now there's raptor zombies, which is what the kind of the, the shorthand I've used for Wendigo a few times. Um, mm-hmm. Just, oh, like, th- this isn't fun to him. This isn't interesting. And this is a part of his life that he would have much rather, like, you know, ha- had we all made it to the end, he wouldn't have been like, oh, what a good story that makes. He'd have been like, let's all pretend that never happened type mm-hmm. of thing. Listening to you talk, some of the things that came to mind is that Rafe... He's a veteran, but he's not a veteran on the same level as Frank. Mm-mm. He hasn't experienced as much yet, and his life gets taken from him too soon for him. Like, he went out there feeling confident about what he was doing, or at the very least trying to seem like he was confident about what he was doing, and it, and it wasn't enough. But at the very least, he died trying to do what he felt was his job and mm-hmm. he had the women that mattered most to him he, he he was trying to live up to their example they had not been taken from him he he was taken from them instead yeah but with frank frank has already experienced losing everything we forget this but one of the very first chapters of steamheart mm-hmm are after he was in this marriage that didn't really work out for him, but his wife is gone, and he's sitting there by himself pondering a gun and Mm -hmm. wondering if he's going to just take himself out of this life. And he manages to find the wherewithal to come back from that, not just to come back from it, but to find Annie and to rebuild a better life for him. Mm -hmm. And now that's been taken away from him as well. Yes, uh, I, I I think you actually kind of summed it up a little bit with the Rafe is a veteran, but like that life was mostly behind him. Like like he was gonna move on to something else. Whereas I think it, it's weird to call Frank a veteran because to, in my mind that implies that he's done with that, and he I don't think he ever will be. It's he he is a soldier. Like he he is willingly throwing himself back into the mix over and over and over, even before and after Annie. Like he. 
he did not get drafted. He volunteered. He came back. He did this on purpose. And he keeps taking on, like, I believe it's Steamheart, where he the, it opens with, hey, uh, Annie and Frank, you might have to kill your friends. And they yeah. they agree. They're like, yep. I understand. And whereas I don't think Rafe would have ever done that on purpose. I think mm-hmm. called into duty. Rafe would have been like, okay, this is my duty. I will do it. But he would have never purposely gone. But like I said, he would not, he wanted this all to blow over. He wanted this to go away. I don't, he would not have gone out there if he did not have to, if he did not think he had to. Mm. Yeah. No. And the other thing of course, is that if I'm remembering correctly, I, I really need to get back and, and, Taken all of Steamheart again, but Frank kind of regrets that this is the one thing that he's really good at. Like he would <laughs> almost rather be anything else, but he knows how. To, he he he's he's the shoveler. He shovels well, yeah. but he doesn't have a whole lot else from that. Annie was the thing that he had that was beyond his ability as a soldier, and now again, that's. <laughs> That's gone. If, yeah, and that that thing where he would much rather be like be running this traveling show with my wife. Like I'd rather be doing trick shots and you know be good at it that way rather than having to be use having to use it to kill dissidents and potentially my friends and Wendigo, which I can't remember when it comes up. But the is it he and Penrose who find the nest of Wendigo oh, of dead James. Wendigo. It's, is, is it James? It is yeah, James. in secret rooms. Yeah, it is in secret. Okay, because I remember that was another one of the weird ones that we like recorded sort of out of order. And I remember talking about with, with Alex on some moment. And he's like, actually, the audience doesn't know about that yet. So hush. And I was like, oh, okay. But I, if I remember correctly, it's come out by now. But yeah, where they find the nest of dead Wendigo. And it's like, wait a minute. Are they just kind of people? Like, are they not actually the quote-unquote savages we think they are and it's that that moment of butler knows this and has known this and he still kills them because mm. he knows he has to and like that type of thing where he's like i would rather not use my sharpshooting for that i'd rather be shooting glass bottles over my shoulder in a mirror off of you know off of volunteers shoulders mm. type of thing like like in a show like i'd rather i'd rather do that and then you know pull up you know happily retire and then maybe a hundred years or so from now a couple of guys write a musical about me and annie like that kind of thing the thing that alex has often said about the characters in new century is that they're all driven by this not just a desire a need to be of the most use they can be mm-hmm. and i think with butler there's actually a tragic component to that where he knows that the thing he is best at is sharpshooting. Mm-hmm. And the place he can be the most use with that is in this environment where he is using it to kill. But as long as there is people, creatures, anything that needs shooting, that's kind of where his talents will always be taking him. And mm-hmm. it's becoming increasingly clear, especially when he loses the other thing that he was best at, which was being a partner and being a support for Annie. And now he only has one thing. And so it becomes this case of, you're never going to be out of this. And yeah. that's a hell of a place to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So that sense of everyone is, every, I, I think it's a, it's just a fundamental nature of the, the world they live in, of the only people who are left are the ones who, are driven to do what must be done. 
like that mm. kind of thing like like whether it's like not necessarily like the ones who are willing to kill type of thing but the ones who don't just give up and be like the world is over i don't want to wake up anymore the ones who are driven to i have to wake up and do something even if it's just putting the laundry out for the farmstead or you know someone's got to make food someone's got to look after the kids and if, if no one else is stepping up i will do it and i think those are all the characters who are left that's all of them to a to a degree and i think you're correct that butler at this point resents that part of himself and that he cannot turn it off because he's also realized that he's dependent on it making him get up every day mm. that's a hell of a heavy place to end but Unfortunately, I wasn't going to get a better break than that for this week. This likely means next week will be a little top-heavy, unless it gets seriously edited down. But the very next thing you get to look forward to is talking about the nag. To close us out, I had a bit of a mental conflict. Did I want to pick a piece of music that would lift us up and make us laugh after all of this? Or did I want to pick a piece of music that was thematically resonant? to the discussion at hand, to the events we find ourselves on the world stage. Would I pick comedy or hard, fierce, cathartic truth? There was plenty of joy and laughter in this episode. Would it be enough? Well, I ended up putting the question to my partner Toby to review, and whatever he picks, that shall be the note we end on. So until next time, this is The Indigo Girls with Center Stage. Look
Now you must dance the dance that you imply. 